0: Attention, fly fishermen and women, save the date, August 18th, to meet Simon Gosworth, famed flycaster instructor, as he stops by Jesse Browns to speak, teach, and demonstrate proper techniques in fly fishing. Plus, learn about the latest in fly lines, fly rods, and fly fishing from this captain of the 2003 English National Team. It's one of his only stops in the East Coast, and he'll be on hand from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. We look forward to seeing you there. Check us out at jessebrowns.com for details.
1: Carolina Outdoors is now in session. Come on in. The listening is fine. Your host, as always, Bill Barti, over on this side. And Wes Lawson over here. Bill, we're in for something special today, aren't we? That's right. Of course, Wes, one of the missions that we have here on the Carolina Outdoors is promoting. We like to promote the outdoors. We hang our hats through the week over at Jesse Brown's Outdoors, headquartered here in Charlotte. Also at jessebrowns.com. But we also like to entertain and educate and with back to school, back to fishing being one of the uh, topics that we are oftentimes talking about at Jesse Brown's here on the Carolina Outdoors, it gives us a great opportunity to educate with uh, the products and knowledge that you and I have on the Carolina Outdoors, but also welcoming in world-renowned educators onto the program. and. That's what we're about to do. We've got international angler, tire, and author, and fly fishing instructor. He's Farbanks Education and Engagement Manager, Simon Gosworth. We're going to welcome him to the Carolina Outdoors right now and find a little bit about his background and a little bit about what he does for a living. Simon, welcome to the Carolina Outdoors. Well,
2: thank you so much for that incredibly grandiose entry. I I feel like I'm a bit gobsmacked by that, but um, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be on here. Well, listen, you shouldn't
1: be too gobsmacked by that because uh, last year in 2021, Fly Fisherman Magazine ranked you at number 32 in the top 50 of influential people in the sport of fly fishermen. That's across the world, and— um That's quite uh, quite a recognition, so uh, we're gobsmacked by you being on here. You learned fly fishing, fly casting from your dad when you were uh, eight years old, or maybe even before you were eight years old, growing up fishing in in, uh, Britain. You live in Idaho and Washington now, I do believe, um, yeah,
2: Washington, definitely now. I was Idaho, and then I moved to Washington to get uh, closer to some steelhead.
1: Hey, Simon, what's the difference, uh, When speaking of sp- steelhead, what's the big difference uh, from fishing in Europe to what we have here in the United States, if any?
2: Well, if you want it in a nutshell, it's the access. It's the fact that uh, everything in Europe is private access, so it's very hard to get onto, um, pretty expensive, very just difficult to You know, if you see a beautiful river, you can't go and fish. If you see a nice lake, you can't just go and fish it. You've got to find out who has the fishing rights and the riparian rights, and you have to go and book your day there. It might be three months or three years out because it's a popular fishery. Where over here, of course, the access in the majority of places, at least anyway, you can just go down and put your boat in and go fish if you want to. Um, So I would say in a nutshell is the fact that you have so much wonderful, accessible fishing, that uh, we don't have in Europe anywhere.
1: And tell us about the maturity of the sport of fly fishing. Of course, uh, it's recognized from coming, uh, I guess, from Europe, a a lot of preeminent angling was, uh, you know, in Europe and is still newer here in the United States. And you teach, you are constantly traveling the country, traveling the world, educating people on the sport of fly fishing. Tell us how uh, that has come along. Of course, you're a competitive casting uh, champion and a competitive casting coach. That's made foray here in the United States where it's been active for decades in Europe. Um, How is it going here, not just spay casting, but fly casting and competition in general?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting... um transition for me as you said earlier i did start fly fishing at eight but i was lucky because my dad had a fly fishing school in in england and so um i was uh just fired up by the thought of fly fishing yeah my dad was an amazing instructor and teacher and great dad and so he taught me to love the sport of fly fishing and then also taught me how to teach it because his goal was that i would one day take over from him and continue the fly fishing legacy if you like in England I don't think he had envisaged me moving over across the pond to to teach it over here I think he wanted me to stay and and teach with him for forever but uh, he retired and I ran the school for another eight or ten years on my own and uh, it's kind of seasonal in the UK uh, or certainly was in those days you had definitive seasons right you could fish from early March to the end of September and then fly fishing basically closed down for the season so um my when I got married my wife said you need to find a full-time proper job and at that time I'd been talking and working with somebody in the U.S. uh, an outdoor writer called Jim Vincent and he'd just set up a fly line company called Rio and when I told him this he said well come and work for me at Rio I'm sure we could find a job for you so I did so long story short I came out and then I worked with him and did shows and, and did line designs and marketing and demonstrations and teaching. And um, I've been lucky enough to travel around the world teaching, as you said, teaching and fishing. It's just, it's uh, pretty lucky for me to be doing that.
0: You know, not many people get to go from ground floor employee to, to where you are. Rio Flyline, which is our premier brand at Jesse Brown's Outdoors has a, tremendous catalog of different styles of fly line, even if we just stay in trout, Um, you know, very species specific, you know, sinking, floating, all this kind of stuff. What, what does it take to keep innovating and keeping things fresh, but also approachable? I mean, you have to be able to explain that product in the space on the back of the box uh, to any any troglodyte who works in, in a fly shop. How do you go about doing that? That's That seems like it's incredibly challenging.
2: It is challenging. You know, I mean, there's obviously, there's, there's, I'd be the first to admit there's a ridiculous amount of fly lines. Even if you just picked trout floating, um, there's a ridiculous amount of trout floating lines that you can choose from. And back in the day, I remember my first modern fly line, if you like, was a Cortland 444 peach. Um, and then I had the 444 SL and a 333, you know, good legacy lines. But you just needed this one line; and it did pretty well everything you wanted. And and fly lines, um, it, it actually occurred when fly line manufacturing technology changed, and that's one thing I'll be talking about in the shop um, if anyone interested. The fly line, the way fly line was made, went from cams to to variable orifices, which is a very complicated terminology. But very simply, it means that as a fly line designer, you could suddenly put fat bits and thin bits in in Far greater, shorter sections, far more control of where you put fat and thin. So suddenly, line excuse me, line designers were able to do this, and it, that created specialty fly lines, and that's where really um, this multitude of fly lines came in, and uh, fisheries emerged. You know, it, it hasn't. It's certainly been in in my short tenure and living in the US, which actually is probably twenty two or twenty three years now, so not that short, but in my in the short time compared to the lifespan fly fishing, there's been emerging fisheries, right? There was never, when I moved here, nobody ever talked about redfishing in Louisiana. Nobody went to the jungle, to Bolivia, to Chez Nobody went to the Seychelles to hit GTs. You know, those fisheries weren't around. Um, And so when fisheries emerge and certain flies and rods emerge for those fisheries, certain fly lines have to also develop to make that work. And so some of the development and natural progression of, the interest in fly fishing, some of the progressions are an extension of technology. You know, you suddenly find you can make a low stretch fly line, which you never could in the past. Oh, wow. Now you've got some serious sensitivity in casting control. You suddenly find that, um, you know, your boffins and your chemists find some some amazing coatings that makes the line slicker than anything ever before. So you can upgrade fly lines to slicker. So there's technologies, there's fisheries, um and then there's climates, right? We just come out with a what we call a dog day gold because our Rio gold is a standard trout line, but it's a cold water fly line. And there's plenty of people who fish trout in warm water and, and warmer conditions. So, you know, those have, those lead to extensions of existing trout tapers, if you like.
1: Simon Galsworth, let's talk a little bit about we we mentioned you designed and tested uh, fly lines for Rio products uh, in Idaho with Jim Benson and. Um, I introduced you as Farbank's education and engagement manager. For our listeners, Farbank re- represents companies like Sage Fly Rods, Reddington, uh, Rio Products, Flywater Travel, all are encompassed through Farbank. Tell us about Rio's relationship with Sage as you're mating, not just for the different uh, uh, fisheries and venues and species. But for the relationship with a fly rod made by Sage, compared to the plethora of other rod manufacturers out there, how does Flyline Design partner with fly rod yeah. equipment?
2: That's an actually extremely good question. Um, and obviously, I don't want to bore everybody with lots of technical information, but very simply, the owners of Sage bought Rio in 2005 and created this brand Farbank um as a result of that purchase. And at that time Rio and Sage certainly before that were very different companies. There was no partnership at all, there was no relationship. We were just a line company. When Sage um and Farbank bought Rio, then things started to change and so as rod started to get developed, we would um either choose a current fly line the sage designs would either choose a current real fly line and tune it in to that fly line or in the case of specialty things would send a, a request to the real line designers which was me in the back in the day and jim uh and then after that it was uh, marlin There's some some great people in the line design world uh and now it's chris walker and other people wayne But basically, they would say, for example, they come out with a rod called the dart. It's a little small creek rod. uh, We needed a little creek line to to, go hand in hand with that. so We designed a creek line. Um, And, you know, we worked out on the action. They got the action right. We started to tweak around the the tapers, uh, the, the grain weights until they were perfect matches. And so they're hand in hand with certain things. It's certainly not every rod is brought out like that and every fly line is brought out like that, but there are definite partnerships that the rod and line designs go together so that there's the perfect combination.
1: Well, and not to fall too far in the weeds, but uh, there was a trend and can be a trend of uplining uh, more so than downlining uh, where that's where people put a six weight uh, fly line on a five weight fly rod. Did it kind of make that dissipate, or is that still going on as a trend uh, as a man that you are in the industry? No, it's still
2: going on, um, although it's it's less uh, – as, as people become more educated and, and fly fishing shop staff understand that fly lines are more important. You know, about, it wasn't that long ago that people would spend hours researching a rod and the reel and, and everything flies and just go in and say, give me a five-way. And that was it. And now people are starting to understand that the fly line actually is perhaps the most important part of your equipment because you can turn any fly rod into a good rod or a terrible rod by putting the wrong line on it. So people understand that. And so not many people now upline physically. They have a five weight and they buy a six weight. But what's interesting is that the we do that in the manufacturing or, or Rio does that in the manufacturing. I say we because I'm not really the real man anymore. But um so they will design a line to cast a large fly, as an example, like our predator. And because a large fly needs more weight to cast it because the fly is heavy, when we design a predator six weight, we will bump up the weight, or we will bump up the weight of that predator, shorten the front taper, push more weight to the front end so that the it becomes really easy to cast the fly. So it's taken into account within the design now, rather than people needing to bump up a line size on their own um, merit.
1: Wes Lawson and Bill barty here on the Carolina Outdoors with international angler, fly tire author, and instructor Simon Gosworth. He's going to be on hand here in Charlotte at Jesse Brown's on August 18th. You're invited to come out and meet him. The meat and potatoes of his presenta- presentation and casting is going to be 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. again August 18th. You're invited. Leave work a little bit early and head over to the Jesse Brown's headquarters in the Sharon Corners Shopping Center.
0: All right, Simon. So you don't just talk fly line. You have been a guide. You fished throughout the world. Where have you not been yet or what species Ooh. are you most eager <laughs> to chase down? Let's skip over all this five weight creek yeah, line yeah. stuff. Let's get into some species now. Does it have to be something
2: I haven't chased? Well, because, no. You know, no. List, yeah, it's two lists, I, I guess. Love and I want to go back. Sure. <laughs> um, if, so, to answer the first question, I would love to hit the um, area of northern Australia, the saltwater area of northern Australia, to target golden permit, to target um, marlin wade fishing on the flats. Yes, you can wade fish and sight fish the marlin on flats out there. Uh, I would love to do that. I love saltwater. I think. I don't do enough of it because I've never lived close enough, so I would go to Oman to hit GTs and queenfish, possibly probably the Seychelles, Sudan, northern Australia. Um, so probably of the places I haven't done enough of or any of, those would be the top of the list. But I would wrestle with myself uh, and, about going back to New Zealand and chasing incredible trout that are down in those rivers and lakes there in Tasmania and Australia.
0: So that's a lot of equipment to carry, and you're going to need somebody to help carry all of that. So just, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, You know, I can, I can, I can, I can carry a lot of rods and reels.
1: You may see if I can get I the Carolina Outdoors uh, helicopter. Booked? Camera
0: equipment. Yeah, I don't know if the helicopter is going to get from here to there, Bill. We might need, we might need something a little bit bigger than that. So, um, <laughs> the thought of of casting a fly to a marlin in the flats. Is interesting until you remember what's on the front of that Marlin. <laughs> um, do you carry a like a bull a bullfighting cape with you also? How do you, how in the world do you do that?
2: God, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> stoked to be be doing that. You know, it's um, and I might be wrong on that. It's just a friend of mine who's done this. Uh, Peter Moss, who's an incredibly good and very famous Australian soldier oh, yeah. fisherman and tire instructor, and he talks about this ship he does. And I could be wrong. It maybe you're in a boat because of that that bill thing. Charging at you would freak anybody out. Oh, Maybe yeah. you're in a boat, but I know it's sight fishing for them rather than chumming up in shallow water. And that's that's what I want to do. I, I just it just rings my bell. I'm not really a fan of the chumming and then flopping some teasing and flopping some lure behind it. I like the casting aspect of everything. So anything that um, for me that rings my bell is going to involve me casting rather than you know, euro nymphing or tenkara or flopping out a teased blob to a tail at a top and this following, at not top and a billfish that's following your teaser. Simon, I, I need
1: to ask you a question. We have a broad audience here on the Carolina outdoors. There's some people waking up listening to us via the airwaves of WBT radio early on a Saturday morning. Others are regular podcast subscribers to Highlights of the Carolina Outdoors, and then many access us at jessebrowns.com. Some of them are very experienced fly anglers. They have fished many of the places that you just mentioned. Um, others of them are just getting warmed up into the sport. They want entry into the doorway of fly fishing. You're going to be on hand. You are, and I mentioned it, and I don't mean to embarrass, but uh, one of the most influential people in the sport of fly fishing in the world On this August 18th appearance that you're going to have at Jesse Brown's, is it going to be for everyone? Are you going to be able to big tent this and let uh, a number of people come in? Or do you stay for the more experienced anglers? How intimidating is the Simon Galsworth appearance at Jesse Brown's going to be? It's it's
2: more the opposite. It's more designed for um, the newbie, the person who just wants to get into little fly fishing, never done it. Um, you know, things change, of course, throughout the course of a day. And you know, I'll, I have a terrible have a, a meandering on my stories and my presentations. But essentially, um, we've got a kind of a casting demo to start off with. And that's really going to be what is fly casting? How do you make a fly cast? What are the most common mistakes and how do you avoid them? That's kind of how it's set up. And um, I try and open up all my presentations and talks and classes to questions and anybody. And if somebody's technically great at casting and they say, you know, I understand all that, but I have a little problem with my double hall. I only can cast 80 feet. How do I get an extra 20 feet out of that? You know, I can, I can say, all right, to you guys who are new at this, this is going to be right over your head. I apologize. But to answer your question, Fred, this is what you do so it's going to be tailored essentially to the uh the novice thing and then the games that we have in the park afterwards uh and the kind of the last thing that is an utterly fun game that is set up to be silly fun uh rather than a technical accuracy competition <laughs> that you have to be very accurate at and distance yeah this is going to be a Um, I I just did this exact competition two weeks ago to 27 kids between 10 and 17. None of them had ever fly fish. They're all inner city kids from Vancouver who are out on a fishing camp, and I went along to excite them about fly fishing. And the thing they enjoyed the most, they enjoyed the fly tying session very much, but they loved this little fun casting game that we had. And and again, my my thought in advance is I'm going to just set up just a fun circuit, that people who've never fly fished can have a go at and have a a chance of winning a fly fishing outfit because that's really what we're going to give away.
1: We love it. Leave work early on Thursday. School will not be in session yet for most of us anyway. It's August 18th. Again, the meat and potatoes of Simon Galsworth appearance at Jesse Brown's will be from 3 to 6 p.m. Contact us at jessebrowns.com here in Charlotte for more information. Simon Gosworth, thank you so much for joining us here on the Carolina Outdoors.
2: Oh, Thanks for asking me. I'm stoked to be coming along. I cannot wait to come back. It's been a long time since I was in Charlotte, so I'm looking forward to being back.
1: We're going to show you a little bit of summertime in the Carolinas. <laughs> we can't wait ourselves. We're going to take a quick break with Wes Lawson and Bill Barty. You're listening to the Carolina Outdoors.